Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. as a vast memory capacity. This is not a computer simulation. Most unusual. Are we ready to release our new software? Yes, sir. As requested, it's full of bugs, which means people will be forced to upgrade for years. Outstanding. Good. You've covered all the bases. Computer status report. From this time forward, you will service us. Our priorities seem to have changed. There's no news. Like bad news. Would you mind identifying what you are? Bites. Seven oh two on three triple R. You're with Bite Into It. We want to say a massive thank you to Kate for the last three hours. Kate Kingsmill will be back next Wednesday with the distant sky from four to seven pm. Right now, I'm looking at Ro. Uh oh. Hello. <laughs> and I'm looking at Lily. Hello. And I'm Vanessa, and we are stoked to be in studio for the last bite of the year. The last one of the I year. Know. I cannot believe it. Forty four episodes, baby. I'm not ready for this. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, you're ready. You will be ready um, because tonight we're going to look back on the year that was. Who were your winners and losers in the tech space? What did our Twitter listeners have to say? I love Twitter. Stuff you space, Karen. Um, so we had a little response to our tweet where we were talking about who were the winners and losers and our lovely follower, um, Anachronoplast, otherwise known as Avantard, says biggest losers were the users and their data. Truth, my friend, truth. Good call, good call. Um, We are going to get to a whole list of losers and we're going to end the show with a list of winners because we don't want to leave you on a bum note. So stick around for that later in the show. Before we get there, as we always do, we start with a bit of news. Lily, what's been happening in the news this week? Lots of stuff been going on in the news this week. One of the things... um one of the things that isn't already sifted into a category of winners and losers for later on is that um, federal MP Andrew Wilkie has introduced a bill to regulate video game loot boxes, which is something that has been coming for a while. We've been, you know, that's been discussed several times in different ways, but um, for the uninitiated, loot boxes are things in games that you can often pay a little extra for and uh, you get sometimes some random content. Anyway, They've done a bit of an assessment on that. They've said that this is tantamount to gambling, and given that video games are often aimed at children, this is something that we really don't want to be exposing children to. So the bill is about regulating these, and the proposal is that any game that has any loot boxes in it is going to be R-rated, which is an interesting way of dealing with that problem, I think. It's really interesting because I do wonder how much the the game rating classifications are effective in stores where... 
you know, it's so easy for people to just go and buy things for, for kids yeah. and not really notice the rating. And I'm not sure that they get advised, you know, this isn't appropriate for, for children for these reasons. Especially if the, the cover has a lot of sort of colourful things going on in it and otherwise looks entirely marketed towards children. It, yeah, I suppose that you might, you might want to skate right over the R rating. So the other challenge there is that there's so many games that people have access to that aren't coming at you via video game stores. Mm. You know, you're getting them on streaming platforms or you're getting them through app stores on your phones. And I'm not sure how the rating classifications come up there in a very obvious way that would necessarily, yeah, be a good barrier for people. But it's great that they're talking about this. I mean, it is a real problem. Yeah, it is. I I know that, you know, especially in Australia, gambling is really something that we, we have a very strong national discourse about and a very big national issue with and so making sure that people are removed from those kinds of mechanisms pretty early is good i only wish we would pay the same kind of attention to some of the other um gamification things that are really negative yeah yeah in, in a lot of our other apps the gaming part is interesting though because when you've got people visiting from overseas it's one of the things they mention about the um watching tv or streaming services or listening to radio experience here commercial radio of course not uh, beautiful <laughs> hallowed halls of triple r uh but you know they do talk about oh my gosh there's so much gambling advertising here and it's embedded in in the sports experience nowadays yeah. hard to yeah. escape very hard all right well good work mp andrew wilkie um, we'll be watching that and hopefully other people will send some good suggestions in on how you could cope with, you know, making loot boxes less um, accessible to kids. Yeah. Awesome. Um, something else that's going on. Uh, apparently Tumblr is seeing an increase in users as well. People are looking for alternatives to Twitter for reasons we will get into a little later in the show. If you haven't already heard, prepare for a surprise. <laughs> um, anyway, Tumblr has announced that they are adding support for ActivityPub, which is the uh, protocol that powers Mastodon and the Fediverse and would mean that Tumblr would interoperate with Mastodon services if they chose to do so. Flickr has also been talking about in- implementing ActivityPub support as well, which would be super interesting to see. It would be amazing. It would be the greatest sort of return of all time if Flickr managed to make itself relevant again. I was a massive Flickr user and I love it. And it was such a shame when Yahoo bought it and sort of sidelined it and stopped investing in it. Oh, absolutely. I I think this is actually super exciting, yeah, for Tumblr as well as Flickr. It's like, everyone's getting a second chance. Coming yeah. back with a vengeance. Yeah. I'm loving it. I, I would really like to see ActivityPub support backboarded into a lot of other things. I'm pretty excited about ActivityPub in a few ways because it, it would be great to do this. And so far we've only had services that – like new services that have been built on top of it. Nobody has really sort of um, backported it into existing or – quote-unquote legacy stuff yes and there's this idea of like the convergence of the bits of the social media that you really like that could potentially happen in really interesting ways yeah absolutely i have seen people on mastodon also concerned about this as well because when big commercial platforms do encroach on these spaces that have previously not had that kind of influence you do then you you the theory is that people are going to bring more commercial interests in and you're going to see more advertising or negative behavior on those platforms instead. I think it remains to be seen. Overall, I'm cautiously optimistic about it, which is something I rarely say about tech, honestly. Um, <laughs> Go, Lily. But Look at yeah, you, yeah. leaning into that cautious optimism. <laughs> there is room for growth here. And, and uh, Tumblr is seizing the moment. 
Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> hey, um, in other news, the US uh, FCC has banned sales and import of a bunch of Chinese technology from Huawei um, and ZTE. So this is just another lobby in the um, in the sort of history of US uh, not quite approaching sanctions on China in this particular front, but really trying to create defensible barriers to free mm. trade with China on the tech front um, based on, you know, a whole lot of arguments around data privacy and accessibility and that sort of thing. It's, um, it's quite interesting to watch where these barriers lie and where they maybe don't lie with other countries yeah, um, with maybe problematic... Yeah, work in tech and with data and with democracy and, yeah, yeah you know, your I, Syria's, your Saudi Arabia's. I found a few of these elements really interesting, like it was uh, specifically with this particular one, specifically hardware, um, specifically sort of communications hardware, mm-hmm. um, you know, how long before it starts to creep into software, TikTok, you know, all that kind of stuff, social media networks. <clears throat> and obviously China is a massive, massive contributor to tech on so many levels, whether it's infrastructure or hardware or software or whatever. Mm. Um, This is a very, very interesting thing because this is actually an expansion of a Donald Trump-era policy. Um, And, um, yeah, the Biden Democrat government has jumped on it and expanded and is continuing to expand it. And who knows what sort of information they're getting behind the scenes that motivates some (laughs) of these actions. But, you know, we see it on the hardware front. We also see it on the software front. We see it on the investment front, you know, the prevention of US companies, you know, having owning stakes in some of these things. It's, you know, it's a multi-pronged attack. It's also really interesting that they're banning these specific companies doing stuff when honestly, you know, it's all even, you know, Apple builds their stuff in China and imports it. So it's, it's unlike there, there is still going to be an amount of influence there that people are going to be able to have in China if they wanted to have it on, on most other tech. It really feels like it's an extremely piecemeal policy decision that is not going to be very effective in the, in the long term. Very inconsistently applied as well. Certainly is. Hey, this is the last bite episode of the year. We will be back next year, but um, we wanted to wrap the year with a bit of a contemplation of the winners and losers in tech over the year. We we have losers up next. You will not want to miss this one. Um, <laughs> we might we might do a bit of healthy venting. Melbourne's own Triple R. We've got Ro, Lily, and Vanessa in studio. Thanks for joining us. You've joined just in time for a very important segment. We're going to talk about a tech losers for the year. <laughs> and if you think we're not relishing that, then you have not, you know, you thought we're You haven't been listening all year. <laughs> yeah, this must be your first time. So much healthy venting to come. <laughs> Data breaches, let's do it. Um, our, our listeners have called this out and we absolutely agree. A loser this year has been your data. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's talk about it a little Oh, I feel like my the the latter half of this year has just become in my life about data breaches entirely, um, and as someone who has not actually been a victim of any of them, I feel like I'm talking about them quite a lot. Um, <laughs> Lily is our cybersecurity expert um, amidst the show, so we we thank you for your time and your patience on oh, this. No dramas, no dramas. Uh, I mean, honestly, I find it kind of fascinating, and in some ways. Um, uh, it's interesting we put this in the losers category because it is terrible for the people who've been affected by it and at the same time 
a win for getting people's attention about this issue, which is something that has been debated for an extremely long time and often only gets attention when really bad things happen. Unfortunately, some really bad things happened. We had Optus, we had Medibank. Earlier in the year, we had the CTARS breach, which I feel like we do not talk about enough. Um, CTARS is a provider for the NDIS. And um, yeah, their databases with full of all this really, really sensitive health info about NDIS recipients was breached in, I think, June or July earlier this year. It was way more severe than a lot of what happened with the Medibank breach, but because the overlap between influential white dudes and NDIS recipients is not huge, um, we didn't really get that into the public discourse until that happened. I think the other part is that um, the public are realising, oh, we're not in a flurry of attacks at the moment. These are going on all the time Mm. and we're just hearing about it more now, you know, because they've become reportable. Yeah, and a lot of them, you know, people, you know, organisations weren't even aware of them until they showed up for sale on the dark web in in a lot of instances and it's just a constant rolling thing now. Yeah, absolutely. It's Mm. And it's been something – I saw headlines earlier in the year that were along the lines of, oh, my God, data breaches and attacks on Australia have gone up. And you read it and it's like, yes, it's gone up um, to eight – a minute or something like that, which sounds bad, but it's gone up from seven a minute. Yeah, it, it was already bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's talk about. I think most people are, have a rudimentary understanding of the breaches going on, and that you know there's a bunch of them, and you're hearing about it more. Um, we heard from McGrath Nichols' recent ransomware on the Rise survey that um, of Australian companies that had been hit by a ransomware or data breach extortion attack, seventy nine percent of them paid the ransom. Almost half, which is 44% of the Aussie business leaders surveyed, said that they would pay the ransom within 24 hours to minimise potential damage. Now, this is in the context of um, Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill confirming that the government was considering banning companies from paying ransoms in response to cyber attacks. Lily, you know, what what is your perspective on this or, or what maybe are the perspectives on, on this? There are a couple of different takes about this. On the one hand... Generally, the cybersecurity industry is very much in favour of not paying the ransom because if you do that, you then feed right back into the ecosystem that rewards people for stealing this information. So it's the same principle that... Uh, a lot of countries take with terrorism. Like, yeah. We do not negotiate with terrorists. We do not pay ransoms on these things. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and so I completely understand why that would be um, the cybersecurity minister's approach to this because it does mean that, well, if people are seeing Australia as a target, if Australia does have laws on the books that literally make it illegal for people to pay these ransoms, then it's going to be a less attractive target. On we're hearing, hand. yeah, we are hearing another hand, and we're hearing it from cybersecurity experts and from law firms who sometimes come in to sweep up the mess here. What are we hearing, Lily? <laughs> no, 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 that's all right. Um, we're hearing a lot about how people will people will want to pay it anyway. It doesn't leave you with many other lines of recourse to get your information back. That they're just going to steal the information and run off with it. Um, and you know, what are the kinds of what are the kinds of recourse and recompense can you have for this kind of thing how do you fix it if you don't have that one lever available to you and that's a really i mean it's a pretty great point and a very time honored one when it comes to any kind of ransom really and then the other thing is that you know if you then criminalize people for paying the the ransom then that's another front that they're potentially able to be extorted upon you know yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and <laughs> so you know how many layers? Legacy. How many layers deep does it go? I mean, if it's if it's already illegal to hold people to ransom, making it illegal to pay the ransom, and then yeah, yeah, you're speaking a lot of sense. It's an incredibly murky area, and obviously, it would be a terrible position to be in. Let's then talk about um, the sort of uh, monetary demands that that ransomware you know, people are, are sort of putting out there versus the sort of investment that people are putting into their cybersecurity. Mm, that's a really interesting one where you've got something, uh, you know, ransom often, and they often ask for it in various different kinds of cryptocurrencies, but it works out to significant enough amounts, but not as much as, say, the fines that the government is imposing for the breaches that, have, that you know, that law just got passed, I think it was yesterday yeah. or the day before. Yeah. Um, and... So in, in many companies' eyes, when you're looking at it from a purely, purely financial perspective, it's kind of like, well, I guess we pay the ransom and then we solve the problem and it goes away. Is that going to be a more productive approach? I don't think so. I mean, honestly, it is – I mean, it, it does make business sense when you look at it just from that one perspective. On the other hand, again, you know, you are feeding into the ecosystem. So, it you know, it's not a conversation that has an easy answer. And I was also wondering about, you know, the efficacy of paying ransoms – by virtue, you're dealing with hackers. You're dealing with people who are, you know, operating on the black market, operating in the business ethical grey area. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. are you actually going to get your your data back? And is there any guarantee? That is there any guarantee down the track? Exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's a question. I don't know if we've got um, much of an answer to it as yet. Whether people are actually coming clean about. Oh yeah, we paid this massive Bitcoin ransom, and um, how would you know? Am I dealing with stolen? some of the ethical hackers, or the unethical hackers, or the slightly more ethical than other? Yeah, the honest yes. criminals, or yeah, that's it. Honest I mean, criminals. and it's yeah, it's yeah. another thing too, where there was an article in the ABC um, this week, and they were talking about how the Optus and Medibank breaches were just the tip of the iceberg, and people were finding MyGov uh, login details that were offered for sale mm. on on cyber criminal forums and things like that. Um, and yeah, it's true. There are a lot of bits and pieces of information that float around out there all the time about us. And when you see it put like that, it's really terrifying to think about. And, you know, if we come back to focusing on the losers, I think that, yeah, the, the Australian people, uh, people who've been affected by this, um, have really had a rough time of it. We have seen lots of great changes in terms of support for people, you know, in, uh, changing your number, you know, your your passport numbers, driver's license, Medicare cards, that kind of thing. But at the same time, when these things are like like your home address is leaked, for a lot of people it doesn't matter. For some people it matters quite a bit mm. and we don't have great recourse for that. So for people who are in those very sensitive situations, there's still not a good answer for that. Yeah, and I mean, there's a whole, you know, layer of reality that where, you know, from a, a policing standpoint, like your good old local police station up the road or, you know, at the end of the line, aren't equipped to deal with so many cases of this sophisticated or unsophisticated. You know, I, I personally was involved in, um, I think I reckon it was about 12 or so years ago with a business that I worked with and they, they were hacked. And um, <clears throat> we were actually able to very quickly find the culprit because they accidentally linked their Google account <laughs> to their hack forum <laughs> account. You know, a couple of steps back, we're like, so we literally have this punter's home address, full name, mobile number, email, like Gmail address, the whole bit. 
took it down to the local fuzz with all the, you know, the evidence and everything. And they're like, we don't know what to do with this. I'm like, call your Parramatta buddies. We are going to press charges. Mm. Like, this is so cut and dried and easy. It's not funny. Um, but, you know, the, a lot of the, the police infrastructure isn't, you know, equipped to deal with stuff at the at the smaller scale, at the consumer individual you know, scale as well on just so many different levels. It's such a like, story. <laughs> yeah, well, where, when people are doing things like um, paying bond in a first month in advance through yeah. Facebook Marketplace, when they're buying a tiny home or a secondhand vehicle through Marketplace and then the money's disappearing and the goods don't show up mm-hmm. and the Facebook account gets cancelled, that's not being pursued. So that's a whole other area that's just exactly. opening up at that small scale. So. Yeah. Oof. Look, it's 7.27. We mm. are only one topic into our losers for the evening. <laughs> so we're really going to have to do a uh, uh, get a move on and um, yes. cover a few things briefly because we're going to assume you know about them, but we just want to remind you that happened this year and uh, everybody lost. Cryptocurrencies. We've been talking about financial loss, but um, I think cryptocurrencies themselves have been a bit of uh, a loser this year and particularly the exchanges that are set up to sort of manage them. We've seen massive collapses um, like FTX and uh, really there are some, you know, people who seem to have been quite respected in the tech community for whatever reasons. Um, There's a lot of soul searching going on Mm -hmm. where people are saying, wow, you know, maybe we shouldn't follow these Svengali-esque figures asking us to invest everything and um, who have known gambling uh, problems. I I don't know. It's just just frightening, but um, we've caught it out before. Does anyone want to go more into depth on those or are we happy to pass it? Well, sort of as a a segue from one into the next, Mm. what's really really come to be very apparent, at least to me, through particularly reading about the FTX collapse, which is a very interesting thing to go and look up. Please do if you're, if you're in need of a boost and uh, at someone else's expense, I suppose. You like a bit of white-collar crime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just how much a lot of these extremely um, money-saturated businesses were being run by dudes who were just kind of governing off of vibes. Yeah. Um, just kind of feeling their way through, didn't really have any kinds of. I've, I've seen, you know, like, oh, and yeah, we approved these respe- uh, we approved these expenses with an emoji reaction in Slack and all this kind of stuff. Um, some, and yeah, some of the best commentaries coming from bankers who are saying we have such high regulatory bars to to meet, and you've got this other industry that's essentially running like us with very little regulatory oversight. We knew this was going to happen. It's just a problem waiting to happen. Yeah, and I, I know that the lack of regulatory int- in yeah, the lack of regulatory oversight was something that it was a real drawcard for the entire crypto space in the first place. Mm. You know, people feeling like the regulations had failed them after the global financial crisis and all that, which is totally fair enough. But to see it lead to these conclusions, and and also to see the way that NFTs and other things have just repeated almost textbook these scams one after the other because of this lack of regulation that was designed to prevent scams of this nature it's fascinating and um the the segue i was gonna try and make here was in terms of governing based on vibes just watching what elon musk has been doing okay should we is there like a sound effect we need for like musk anyway (laughs) i ding we're gonna talk about it (laughs) yeah yeah, content warning. Look, it's 7.30 on Triple R and we're about to talk about Elon Musk. Is that is that the warning that we give? Yeah, I um, think so. We do want to call out to two of our fabulous listeners, um, 
Anthony Agius, founder of the Sizzle Newsletter, tweeted at us that losers this year have to be Meta and Twitter. What a downfall. And Wolf Coughlin, an amazing developer and a past colleague of mine, said, there are no winners, but losers are Twitter, Meta and Russian bots. Um, so let's let's get into it. Yeah, okay. Elon Musk. I mean, gosh, where do you even begin? <laughs> Look, Elon started talking about taking over Twitter in a throwaway tweet in April and um, very quickly backed away and started to, to, you know, walk away from that idea of a purchase. And then by November, he'd purchased it and sort of been forced into the deal. It's a ridiculously commercially unsound deal uh, from his perspective. Um, he's taken it private, so there's no shareholders anymore. Uh, that's the that's, that's the short of it. Um, since then, there have been massive firings, um, particularly amongst a lot of content moderation teams, ethics teams, um, people watching, you know, political um, sensitive tweets in politically unstable countries, you know, all these sorts of things. Uh, I don't want to cover it too much because obviously it's been in the news a lot. Mm. Um, what are your reflections on the year that has been Elon and... Twitter and yeah, well, I guess one of the, I mean, I'm I'm less of a policy punter on this one and more of a, you know, what am I saying? Because I love Twitter. I'm I'm sadly a little bit too online on there, um, and I have noticed even just in the last 24, 48 hours, because Elon's very much about rah rah his interpretation of free speech, and so they have dialed back moderation enormously, and obviously the teams have been fired and all the rest of it. Um, I have noticed a huge uptick in. Um, um, people I follow who are female, um, who have a bit of a public profile, who have all gone private. The number of people that are locking down their accounts for their own safety is anecdotally spiking. Um, and, and that just in and of itself, um, and I've seen a lot of people tweeting screenshots where they're reporting straight up stone cold content warning, but racist, you know, sexist, se- the whole bit, everything. which would normally get accounts suspended almost right away. Nah, we're good. We're good. And it's like clearly vehemently racist, anti-Semitic, like the whole bit. So it's, it is becoming a bit of a wild west um, in terms of that. People have gone after the Am I the Arsehole account and that just shouldn't happen. You know? oh, no, no. It's, it's one of the best things on there. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, just as somebody who works in the tech industry, has been watching what this has been doing to Twitter as a business and as a software product because that has been – very illustrative of Musk's own grasp of what he has bought. Um, he seems to be obsessed with the idea that you need to write code in order to do something valuable to contribute to the company, as if that by saying, show me lines of code over and over, like he's sitting behind a desk like J. Jonah Jameson asking for pictures of Spider-Man, Pick, you know, <laughs> send me screenshots yeah. of your code, your most salient lines of code, and it's Print like... Print it out. <laughs> yeah, and he keeps doing this the, earlier today. I'd love to send him all the comments that I added to the code to make it editable <laughs> in the future and just yes. be like, that was my most valuable edition. They, even earlier today, um, it was reported that another email from Musk had gone around and said, you know, things like documentation and helping your teammates are all fundamentally good parts of your job, but writing code is really where it's at. Which is, if anyone listening has worked in software, and I assume many of you have, you know that that is the opposite of what is true. And yeah. you can see that because when they roll out features now, they're untested, uh, they're unthought through, and they have to keep like pivoting them. So, yeah. you know, the way he's been thinking about, um, you know, 
verifying accounts oh. and now he's come out with this new plan we're going to we're going to have different verification marks for governments and and immediately i thought well governments companies and, and celebrities or whatever governments what do you do with taiwan you know mm. where do you draw like what it, immediately you've got problems you were safer with the generic you know verified check mark yeah um yeah. oh it's just a nightmare and it's like who's advising you well nobody, nobody. and that's the thing nobody. right it's purely based on vibes all right Am I am I okay to call a, a line under Elon? Yes. Well, oh no, one, oh, oh, Apple. one more thing to mention. Apple. The App Store. Elon's picking fights with Tim Cook. Doesn't think that the App Store po- policies should apply to Twitter. Um, which it's such is... a funny way to say it because I just got a visual, you know, <laughs> and I'm gunning for Cook. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll, I'll do a really quick and dirty summary. Um But the main, you know, Apple has set its own standards and, you know, the Google Play Store has its own standards as well, which is very much around protecting children, protecting brands. um, Protecting your privacy uh, and your data. Protecting your privacy, your data, ensuring that, for example, an app developer can't access private photos in your phone, all sorts of things. We should mention the bad too, which is Mm. taking a 30% cut of any transactional stuff that goes through your app. Yes, which is absolutely a factor as well. So there there is a price to be paid, um, you know, dollar-wise, but there's also upside and sensible components to it and um, Elon's, you know, knee-jerk response to, I don't want to pay that and also I don't, you know, free speech, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't want to have to actually adhere to this stuff. I'm going to come out with my own telephone and my own (laughs) app store. Um, Stay tuned, folks. And I think someone needs to take his tweeting thumb away. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. On Triple R, you're with Bite Into It for our last show of the year. We have Lily, Rowe and I'm Vanessa in studio. It's so nice to be here with you. We've just gone through a bunch of losers for the year. But Joy, if you've just tuned in, you're about to catch the winners for the year. Yeah, we better go out on a good note. Yeah, we want to want to put some positivity. Absolutely, there. and I just want to shout out um, our beautiful colleague Joe, who has blown up our own text line saying, <laughs> "Hi, Ro, Lily, Vanessa, I love you all. Thank you very much, we Joe. Love we too, love you Joe. back. But um, if you have a winner or loser at home, our lovely friends are zero four double six nine eight one zero two seven, and we want to see your winners and losers. Text us. Yes, do it." Hey, so a winner for the year. We were just talking about Apple and um, they had some wins on the privacy front. But at the moment, iPhone factory workers at Foxconn in China are striking over working conditions. So we think of them in solidarity. Um, They're also striking partly because of the lockdowns. Um, If you have been following the World Cup, you might have seen the news items that Chinese people watching the World Cup were really struck by the lack of masking in the crowds. So much so that you can see side-by-side comparisons of early in the World Cup where they're showing regular footage that everyone else is getting Mm. and then later in the World Cup where for China they're starting to, instead of show crowd shots where people don't have masks, they cut to close-ups of coaches or other players or whatever, just so that they've really radically changed their streaming, the footage that comes out of it. Um, So there's a bunch of anti-lockdown sentiment there because they've had a very harsh, long zero-COVID policy. Um, And whenever there's broader discontent, um, it sort of makes it easier to protest in China from what we're seeing. So anyway, they're clearly having um, a tough time, the factory workers at iPhone. So that's just something to think about. Yeah, solidarity. Yeah. Yeah. 
I feel like one of the one of the winners in like the one of the winners out of twenty twenty two has really been workers' rights and the collective upswell of people who are out there fighting for it. Um, you know, we've seen this, we've seen the Starbucks workers, we've seen I mean the rise and rise of Jorts the Cat. I love Jorts. Yeah. Um it's been it's been I think a really good time for people you know, in amidst all of the billionaires buying things and ruining them for everyone. You saw a bit of that in, mm. inside Google too. You yeah. know, there was a bunch of activism there and um, while there was definitely retaliation against some of the organisers, um, it still managed to achieve a lot of things and, and hold, you know, that massive company to a bit of account. Yeah. Thank goodness. Mm. All right. Quickly, we have talked about privacy already but we talked about it from the data loss side. In terms of the winning side, what's happened on the privacy front? We'll go back to you, Lily. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I alluded to this a little earlier, but one of the really interesting and hopefully positive things to come out of all of these data breaches that we've had is that we already had on the books a review of the Privacy Act in Australia, which is extremely outdated and long overdue for a bit of a, um, a tune-up. And that is coming up which is excellent because now everybody is really upset about the fact that we don't have very good privacy legislation. Um, And so hopefully we might actually get some decent changes on the books this time around, which would be marvellous. A great place to read more about some of the changes that you could hope for and lobby for is Digital Rights Watch, which um, Lily is a board member of, and uh, we really value that aspect of your experience here as well. All right. Other winners. Streaming services. Bro, tell us dun, all about dun, it. Dun. Well, we had um, someone fabulous hit us up on the text line as well. How about this? Fight Spotify, brackets, Exploitify, um, and shared a link to a really cool, um, you know, library service which was providing stream- free streaming, which is great. But um, streaming services, absolute colossus. 2022 was the year of a trillion streams and it's also the season for end of year music data. Anyone who's even remotely online is seeing the old festival lineup memes full of Taylor Swift and other things like that. So, um, you know, Spotify wrapped is obviously a big front runner, um, but this year YouTube music and Apple music also launched end of year recaps, but Apple missed a bit of a trick in not making their offer easily shareable on socials. Do better Apple. Gosh, it's a bit of the kick, kick the <laughs> Apple around the the radio studio tonight. Well, when you're that successful and in so many people's pockets, I guess it shows, you know, they can afford a little bit of constructive feedback. Absolutely. And I actually did see a, a quite compelling Twitter thread. Um, the, the Spotify Wrapped, which has been a massive success since it came out, was actually done by an unpaid intern years ago. She had the receipts really? as well <gasps> and was like, I've never been credited. I've never been Shocking. paid. And it's one of the most successful consumer no. engagement things I've ever done. That's devastating. I know. I am someone who quit Spotify this year after the whole uh, Neil Young thing. I have quit. Um, with Joe Rogan as well. And mm. to be honest, I never really got much value out of Spotify Wrapped because I don't use it in the way that the same. Spotify expects to. me to. Yeah. Mm, same. Um, yeah. To make that a useful kind of metric. So Apple for me, Music is still giving the most proportion to artists out of those services. Yeah. Sorry, Lily. No, no, no. It's all good. Um, I mean, I started to sign up for Bandcamp. As far as I'm aware, they don't have anything like that. But um, I'm not going to get my Spotify wrapped this year. And I'm okay with that. I think one of the that's a, that's been another big win too. Is we've seen actual change in that ecosystem and people really talking about the amount of money that these platforms make versus the artists who are on them and generating the bulk of their revenue. Yep. Straight up transfer of wealth stuff. Absolute textbook. So 
absolutely glad that it's getting the attention that deserves. And, um, you know, as a winner, we as consumers are winning hugely with streaming. It's high quality. It's very cost effective. It's so many things and we're clearly sticking to it like glue. So interesting yeah. times. Yeah. It will be interesting to see if someone tries to be the point of convergence for any of those platforms. We're starting to see it in the video streaming services that, you know, Apple, once again, is trying to be the home place. Mm. Samsung's definitely trying to be that as well through mm. their, their hardware. So it's really, you know, you always see this trend in tech. It's the, you know, the divergence of services and content and then someone tries for the convergence and to own that point of convergence. Mm-hmm. And then we see decentralization again. You know? <laughs> yeah, VHS versus tell data. Us, <laughs> tell us how decentralization might have been a winner this year, Lily. One of the other things that's really come out of this whole Twitter fiasco in the last few months has been the resurgence of Mastodon. And if you were listening to the show a few weeks ago, you would have heard us interview a few Mastodon instance maintainers. Mastodon is a a platform that on the surface looks and behaves a lot like Twitter. It allows users to sign up, find each other, post really short things, share them, that kind of thing. But it is also built on a set of principles that are fundamentally opposed to what Twitter was built on. It's a decentralized service, so it means that anybody can start their own Mastodon server and federate with others. That means that you have smaller groups of content moderators, probably more people that you know more directly, and it also means that you have greater control over what you're consuming as well as the ability to financially support the people who are running it very directly, which is great. So there have been a lot of people who have been advertising their Patreons and stuff like that um, because they're doing a lot of this work. Anyway. It's that classic community organising model. Yeah. It really feels, you know, direct action, like take mm. action here. It's most meaningful here. Yeah. Yeah. And so I am I'm one of the people who jumps ship and a lot of the people who I wanted to talk to have jumped ship. So Twitter is absolutely pointless for me to be on at the moment because nobody who I was there to listen to is there anymore. Um, they're all a mastodon. Sorry, Ro. <laughs> <laughs> Ro and I still hold out. I'm, I'm absolutely a Twitter holdout. Where else am I going to get my doom scrolling where I can't sleep? <laughs> I just come back for Am I the Arsehole? That's about it. Yeah. So is anyone good. reading those little bite tweets, those little follow us on bite into it? Follow us know. on bite into it, yeah, <laughs> please. It's the last holdout. <laughs> but the decentralized aspect of it, of Mastodon, is really interesting. We spoke earlier about how Tumblr is implementing uh, support for the ActivityPub protocol, which is what powers a lot of this federation. And I think what has been really useful and interesting and heartwarming for me has been seeing people say, oh, it feels like 2005 in here, but like in a good way. Um, I'm so happy to hear that too. (laughs) Yeah. You know, people seeing how the internet is actually something that other human beings can, can own and run without the veneer of something like Twitter, where they have professional software engineers keeping the lights on 24 seven in so many ways. I kind of find it a bit charming, really, the way that Mastodon servers will occasionally go down. It's kind of like, oh, <laughs> that's missing, right. You know, we used to have a fail well. And, yeah. You know, At yeah. the end of the day, there is a, a computer somewhere that is sending this to you, and right now it is having a bit of a time. That's actually why I'm not posting on Mastodon. I felt so guilty for being one of those influx. Even though I joined, you know, in 2018, I hadn't posted. Mm. And I was a member of two instances because I didn't understand how the Federation worked when I first joined Mastodon. Mm. Uh, I was struggling to, you know, learn and I'd read a little and then I'd forget it existed and what have you. It's, um, But, yes, there'll yeah. be a moment. There will be a yeah. moment. I think there are a lot of valid criticisms of it. But the decentralization aspect of it, Divorced from any of the Web3 co-opting of that word, I think is a real winner this year, and I'm loving it. 
Excellent, excellent. That's great. I am loving the news on the energy front. Um, it's not, you know, as um, extremely positive as we could perhaps hope, but there are a lot of green shoots. So Mike Cannon-Brooks um, of Atlassian fame succeeded in shaking up the AGL board this year. Um, while his agenda to pivot AGL, um, who's Australia's largest greenhouse gas emitter, as far as I read in this article, um, away from coal power plants has been a success, um, he wasn't you know, as successful in, in pushing his agenda with that board as he would have liked, but it's still a massive improvement from where they mm. were. So let's take the win and let's, let's keep encouraging, um, encouraging that sort of direction. The Labor Party just got returned in the Vic State election. They've promised to revive the State Electricity Commission and they have a bunch of ideas about how they can make um, energy more affordable, more sustainable and put more power back in the hands of consumers. Mm. Um, Lofty goals, you know, no wins to record yet. Let's just keep an eye on that. It's nice that people are even saying that. Um, and then in the in the startup community, you know, we're seeing a bunch of things. So Startup Bootcamp um, is a global initiative, but we've got a really vibrant Aussie chapter. And one of their rounds um, focused on investment and scaling up companies is now on renewable energy and net zero initiatives. So they, you know, they do focus on, on all sorts of things and sometimes it'll be sports tech or whatever or fintech and all these things. But it's just it just shows how much appetite there is and how much potential there is. Um, and, yes, it's great that people are sending money that way. Oh, big time. Mm. Yeah. Triple R. I love that little witness. It's 7.57 and you're witnessing the last bite into it for 2022. We have Ro, we have Lily, I'm Vanessa, and it's a pleasure to be with you. Lily, what is your technology hope for next year? Oh, man. It's so nice to be asked about hope in the context of technology. <laughs> um, I do have hopes. I mean, I feel like um, the the way that I have been experiencing social media recently has really given me a lot of hope that people-centered tech is something that is actually possible. And it's having such a moment right now that hmm. it makes me very pleased to see all of these little groups and people carving out their niches and spaces online in ways that make them feel safe and included. I love that. And that's all the hope we have time for because <laughs> now we need to spend our time being grateful. It's time to say our thank yous for the year. We want to say a massive thank you to all the Byte hosts this year. Obviously, we've got Lily and Ro in studio with me tonight, but alphabetically by surname because, hey, I was feeling anal when I wrote this down. Uh, we want to thank Paul Callahan, Warren Davies, Joe Eaton, Dan Morganti, Dan Salmon, Laura Summers, Maze Wallen, and occasionally even Adam Christou. We thank you. So thank you so much, team, for being part of this. We also want to say a big farewell to Laura, who's moved overseas. She became a regular host in 2015, and what a fantastic contribution she's made in her eight years with the program. Um, we will stay in touch. We love having a roving European reporter. Um, anything you guys want to say for Laura? We love you, Laura. We're going to miss you, Laura. We certainly do. Um, thanks to our talks producer, Elizabeth McCarthy. We literally couldn't do it without you. And to our podcaster, Carrie Smythe, most reliable, um, dedicated podcaster ever. Thank you. To our Trip Magazine editors who've worked with the team this year, Mia Timpano and Donna Morabito, plus all the Triple R staff who keep everything working and provide us with so much support here. We've been bite into it and we'll be back next year. 
Anything you guys want to say? Thank you, Vanessa. Oh, come on. You're not in that list. Thank oh, you so much. You're, you're so welcome. And it's... if you're listening to us right now, thank you. <laughs> yes, yes, thanks to our listeners. We love you and we love reading your tweets and your messages. Stay tuned now for the International Pop Underground with Anthony Carew. He's coming up next. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.